Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Welcome back, everyone. So today's episode, I'm joined with Alex Field, who is a holistic counselor in Australia. And I just love the way she combines uh, trauma-informed education with functional medicine. She really strongly uh, practices with this mind-body connection. And she's going to be sharing her own story as well as her healing journey. So I hope you find this episode um, relatable and helpful. One way you can support this podcast is by leaving a short review on Apple Podcast. This will help others with trauma find the podcast more easily and it'll be more accessible to them. You can also subscribe and share Hi. Hi, Monique. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a real honor to be here. And the fact that I'm in Australia and you're in Canada is, um, <laughs> I just, it blows my mind. <laughs> I know. I know. It's wonderful. So um, you're going to be sharing with us uh, a little bit of your story. Um, and I think I, I, I just want to clarify, you know, when we talk about sharing our trauma story, we don't need to get into, you know, the, the, the triggering aspects or the, um, cause it can be really traumatizing for even people to listen to. So what, when we share our story, it's really for the purpose of helping people to understand, um, how that has impacted their life in the present and in what ways. Um, so yes, if you would, if you would share a little bit of your story. For sure. Yes. Um, so I realized uh, several years ago now that we're actually all born into stories. We're born into the stories of our parents and our parents' parents and so on. And sometimes these stories are easy and sometimes they're not. And I remember being told once that we live our lives forwards, but we actually understand them by looking backwards. And I really yeah. think that makes a lot of sense. And when I work with clients, 
I noticed that certain aspects in certain um, poignant moments in our processing that um, giving little bits of information, read my story has actually been profoundly healing for them, partly because they realize they're not alone. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that's really important is that for many years, I really thought I was um, in inverted commas, the problem or that I was too sensitive, or is that, you know, I just couldn't get my stuff sorted out. Um, whereas in hindsight, I realized what I was dealing with was, you know, complex trauma from childhood. And it was more about the system and actually less about what I wasn't getting right or wrong. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's a really big, important thing that I love to get across because so many people are stuck in the story that something's, something's wrong with me. And when you start to understand that, no, this is complex trauma, um, it changes things. Mm. And I think it changes things um, in a way where people start to realize that actually what they've done and how they've adapted and how they've coped from, say, childhood stuff has been hugely um, adaptive and actually very um, strategic in many ways. And it's not actually against who they are. And I think that's the big um, still, I think that's the big point of difference that needs to be shared more and more to individuals who are dealing with complex trauma from childhood. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up. I think the other point of difference that um, I notice a little bit is that, and I think this is relevant to my story, is that I actually grew up in a very wealthy um, family in the UK. And I think we often have an assumption that um, that trauma and you know things that go wrong in our family systems often happen you know when we're coming from maybe a different socioeconomic background, and I think that was something that really kept me um, very uh, quiet and very confused for many many years. Um, but now I look back on it. Now I've done the research and the study, and I I can see quite clearly how things were unfolding. But at the age of nine. Um, having grown up in quite a, um, an emotionally um, cold family system, I went to boarding school and that was the beginning of my schooling um, era. And my first boarding school was, was a very, very confronting, very harrowing experience for me. And I think that double bind of growing up where you feel lucky in inverted commas and, you know, you, you're told you're lucky um, really put another layer of, of shame. So I noticed for me when mm. I look back that shame replaced my innocence big time and fear replaced my curiosity um, in mm -hmm. my first boarding school. And I remember coming out of um, coming, you know, years later and chatting to a lady who is my nanny and, and my oldest best friend who was before boarding school. And both of them independently reflected to me that when they met me or saw me after I'd first gone to boarding school, um, something had totally changed in me. I was a different person and they just said, you just weren't there anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm so curious about that in terms of um, something, you know, the change that happened uh, before and after. So uh, do you relate that to um, having gone to boarding school and leaving your family? Because you said that it was, it was a family that, um, that was cold and maybe not, um, you didn't maybe feel 
I don't know, seen or heard or loved, or I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but was it, was it leaving that and, or was it some trauma that occurred at the school? So I think it was a combination. Um, I think in my family system, I was probably more in that, what we describe as that sympathetic, um, you know, state from if we look at the polyvagal yeah. system. So I think I grew up more in that, in my home environment. There was just a bit of, I guess, psychological unawareness. It was quite um, chaotic, but not in an abusive way per se, but it was quite chaotic. I think when I went to boarding school, um, I definitely experienced abuse there. And I think what I moved into was more of the dorsal vagal state of where I think mm. I resided for, for many, many years, to be honest. Now I look back, I get that. Yeah. At the time, um, I wouldn't have known that um, and begun to get labels when I was back home of, you know, you're too sensitive or um, you're, you know, you're difficult, you're the difficult one, that type of thing. But it it really you know compounded that sort of um that layering of shutdown i guess because i'd look around going why can't i get this together you know i'm you know i'm one of the lucky ones apparently why is this not working for me <laughs> um yeah yeah there's also a really great um and i don't know whether you've come across him but there's a really great uh psychotherapist who a guy called nick duffel He's done a lot of work um, and dedicated much of his work in his, you know, kind of psychological work to working with boarding school, um, what he calls boarding school survivors. Um, and he talks a lot about the, the sort of rupture of the attachments in children when obviously, like you say, they go from being in a home environment to being um, in boarding school. But he says that, you know, in, in, his, in his own words, he describes this, this rupture of attachments which further imposes an ethos of self-reliance that doesn't actually fit in with their ongoing developmental needs. And I think that's very true, but I also think that really speaks as well to the complex trauma that, um, that many mm -hmm. people who go to boarding school, certainly the early years of boarding school experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Is, um, is boarding school um, popular with, um, you know, um, maybe from um, your socioeconomic, um, you know, was it popular with some of the families that you, uh, your family uh, socialized with? Was it um, something considered normal or something that, that you do? Cause you know, from my, you know, my area, it's not something that's really, um, sleepaway camp. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but boarding school. So I'm just curious. Cause I mean, I've never heard the term boarding school survivor syndrome. So obviously, you know, there's, there's, there's an issue there and there's lots of children that go, yeah, I think um, it is It is very much to do with a certain, uh, England still has a class system, so it's much very much to do with a certain class mm -hmm. system in the UK. And I think it is seen, and I certainly don't think my parents were trying to do, in inverted commas, the wrong thing by me. I think it is seen as a, as a bit of a, um, a luxury that few can afford, but it, it offers a great startup to kids in life. But I think the, the problem is that people forget or, it, you know, individuals probably don't understand that it's a very hostile environment um, when you're very, very young going away to boarding school. But, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of our friends and, you know, family friends and things would have gone to boarding school. Um, I think Nick Duffel, he was a boarding school kid himself. 
And mm -hmm. um, I think he looked around and recognised that, you know, a lot of people come out in inverted commas thinking that they've had a great start up in life, feeling quite normal, but actually struggle to maintain intimate relationships. They also often become workaholics. And he talks about this um, timetabling is another thing that a term that he's coined. And he talks about timetable as being a thing that happens in boarding school where your children are constantly timetabled, scheduled to do things. And he references it as a way of then you not missing home or having too much time to reflect on mm. where you are at emotionally. Um, but he said what happens is people then come out of that and end up really uh, focused on doing and being busy mm. all the time. And I certainly can attest to that. Um, and I think in a way when I stepped, um, I feel like I stepped off grid a bit, but when I stepped into my life in Egypt, it was the first time that I'd really just started to drop into who I am as a um, as a person and really started to be a little bit more. But again, this is the hindsight looking back. I wouldn't say it was, there's no mm -hmm. romantic pathway to this, but this is in hindsight looking back, I realized that one of the things that my journey worked because I moved to Egypt when I was in my early twenties, that it really offered me a platform where I didn't have to conform to the society I'd grown up in. Mm -hmm. I could actually just kick back and and I say be me, but really what I was doing was beginning to learn what does me actually look like. Right. So um, how long were you in boarding school for? So from the age of nine right through. So the first boarding school, the first one that I was at, I'd say, was where the real um, trauma was occurring and did occur several for several years. And then I moved to another boarding school. So we went to a, a senior boarding school when I was 12 and stayed there right through. That was actually a great experience for me in, in many ways. And um, although I obviously was dealing with a lot of stuff from the earlier boarding school, but I got beautiful friends from there. And, um, and you know, I, that, wasn't, that wasn't really a problematic time for me. So that was 12 to 18. Mm -hmm. um, would you be okay discussing, because um, I'm sure people are wondering what kind of, what kind of um, abuse happened at the, was it neglect, was it? So it's a combination of neglect, um, emotional abuse from some of the teachers and sexual abuse. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, have you ever disclosed any of this to your parents? Um, yes, I have. My father's no longer around, okay. but I have discussed this with my with my mum. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. You know, I'm. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, you know, we know what what children need, and and I'm thinking of the, you know these schools, and again, all my my frame of reference is not a personal one. It's what I've seen in movies or what I've read about, and it's very like kind of a little how you describe though, very structured, very uh, regimented, and I'm thinking uh, kind of like there's no room to explore and be curious and all of those things. Um, but oh, to top it all off with uh, you know emotional abuse and 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 um, sexual abuse, that's just. That's just awful. I'm, um, yeah, I'm really, really sorry. Um, oh, thank you. Maybe we can talk now about Egypt because you said that was where you started to feel like your healing began. Yes, and and I definitely, you know, I've said this already, but I really want to echo here again that 
um, I can see looking back how things have unfolded and actually how many things have worked out really well for me. But I guess if I could have known then what I know now, I would have been able to fast track um, my healing journey. Mm. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about the work I do now and have done for many years. But for me, Egypt was a place that became a bit of a place of refuge for me. So I went there um, because I had a passion for photography and filmmaking. And I ended up working as a videographer there for many, many years. Um, but I realized now as much as I adored um, underwater filming and loved being you know, in the ocean, I realized now that part of what I was doing by being immersed in the ocean for so many hours um, of my life was actually a really beautiful way of settling my nervous system. So ironically, it was sort of helping me move out of the dorsal vagal and more into the ventral vagal state. And mm. there were times where, you know, you could I could dive in a certain way and invert, you know, to help according to um, where I was at in my nervous system response. Um, but I'd like to echo that I didn't know this at the time. <laughs> I just had a pull and yeah. a yearning yeah. to keep getting back in. So I, 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 I orientated my um dive life basically to um to manage my nervous system but at the same time was also making you know it was a career for mm. 10 years yeah and um you know you talked about the water the diving um but what about what you know what you saw in the water i know when i um you know you snorkeled it was it was such a incredible regulating mm. i don't even mm. have words to describe with what i saw I'm wondering if that too, um, what you saw was, totally, was regulating. Totally, totally. So I, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a videographer, you're often filming, um, you know, semi-solo. Um, so you're, you're close, you know, mm -hmm. I was never, I wasn't a reckless diver or anything like that, but you're often in your own space. And I'd often dive along a alongside a colleague of mine, but being close to, you know, beautiful fish, coral, it was a, you know, explosion mm -hmm. of colors. Yeah. Um, and also yeah. having the opportunity, which I also was reflecting on last night in preparation for this, was I used to dive with a lone dolphin a lot of the time. So she'd been outcast oh. from her pod. Um, and we're not quite sure why, but she would frequent the shores alongside um, near where I lived. And so I'd often go diving with her and I can still like it brings tears to my eyes now. I could just feel that connection. Um, and that is oh my. yeah, that is something akin to um, what I'd call a golden thread <sighs> of life's you know, opportunities. But I realized that that connection in those moments, I felt connected. I felt so safe. And I just knew that there was something more than what I'd come from. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking you also probably really connected with her because she was alone totally. in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm amazing. sure, you know, and for years I dived with her. I've got so much footage of her. She had a baby briefly uh, and the, sadly the baby didn't survive, but um, she gave birth to a little baby and I'd, I'd gone filming one day because I'd been told that she'd had a baby and she's the baby's feeding from her. And as the little baby comes off her feed, you get the milk droplets just passing through the water it's gorgeous you know it's 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 life-changing oh. those moments yeah yeah oh my goodness beautiful wow <laughs> so um so you really felt that this diving 
naturally without even knowing it was helping your nervous system settle. Yes. And I think there was a definite pull to doing it. I didn't understand, like I said, the science behind it, but there was a definite pull to knowing that when I was immersed in water, I mean, I've realized I've worked it out because my, for my kids that I've probably clocked over 10,000 dives. So I realized in my <laughs> time of being underwater that actually there was a part of me that was really healing. And I use the word um, loosely because there is so much science behind it. But I think being connected to nature in a certain way, it doesn't have to be underwater. But I think there's, you know, we have the research out there. We know that there's so much research mm -hmm. now saying that nature, nature, nature helps with regulation. Da, da, da. Yeah. And we definitely know yeah. that we're not, you know, I'm not needing to come on here and prove that. But I think case in point, that was what was going on is that I would feel very settled. I'd feel very calm. But what I was still doing in Egypt was isolating myself from, um, from people. I did have a beautiful community there um, and I would, you know, do my work, but I also orientated my work so that I could have a lot of time of solitude. Um, I spent a lot of time in the mm -hmm. desert on my own meditating. I spent a lot of time on my own at home. So I mm -hmm. was still managing um I guess myself in in that sense that I could do some contact time with people, but I'd also still retreat quite a bit. And at that stage, I hadn't done any um, any work in terms of um, seeing a therapist or anything like that. I hadn't gone to that area. Okay. Um, and so I, I guess you didn't, when did you start to realize that you did have um, complex trauma and that and that you could benefit from working with a so professional. So many years later, actually. So um, the other thing I added in, just to quickly add that into the sort of building blocks, was that I came across someone who was working in the field of natural medicine, so naturopathy, functional medicine, while I was in Egypt. And that was a little bit of another sort of light bulb moment for me in terms of supporting my um, physical body, because I still had quite a lot of nervous um, you know, processing that was going on, uh, which would affect my digestive system, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of got involved in that. And that was the beginning of my journey in terms of becoming a practitioner in functional medicine in terms of naturopathy. So that happened alongside Egypt. And then I, and just to put the reason why I didn't go and see a therapist is it was a real no-go zone for my family system. It was like an absolute, you cannot go and talk to anyone. Um, it, mm -hmm. you know, and at the time I wasn't really sure that I, you know, of what I would talk about. It was still quite um, removed from my psyche. Mm -hmm. So basically I then ended up um, many years later when I had my first child, I ended up reaching out for, um, to go to see someone. So I feel like I'd sort of touched on, if I break it down, I often do this in practice. If I look at four parts of our being, we have our spiritual part, we have our psychological part, our emotional part, and our physical part. And I know it's a bit of a clunky way of looking at it, but it's kind of four separate parts to us. And I really feel, and this is why I incorporate the holistic part in my work, I really feel we kind of need to attend to all four of those parts, not at the same time, and not always in the same dosage, but I think we need to look at those four parts. And I think for me, when I actually started seeing a psychologist who I still see today, beautiful lady, when my first son, um, first child was born, was a bit of the, the sort of icing on the cake for me. 
it all started to come together and we started to piece together what was going on and i really finally fully understood what um what i'd actually come from and understood the concept of complex trauma from childhood mm-hmm. yeah okay and um and now you practice as a a psychotherapist you incorporate functional medicine into your practice how do you do that I incorporated alongside I'm very much around the process and and obviously incorporating talk therapy and that is the the big way that I work but when I do an intake and assessment for working with an individual I do quite an extensive um, intake on to their physical well-being you know how their overall energy levels are you know how their digestive system just whatever sort of speaks to them that they need to share with me and then we formulate a a way of working together which will include the the psychotherapy part and you know possibly trauma processing, that kind of thing, depending on, you know, who they are, but also using some supplements, evidence-based supplements. We have a brilliant, um, we have some phenomenal ranges of evidence-based supplements now in Australia and also diet and, you know, supporting their nervous system. If they need more extensive work, then I'll refer them on to a, a fellow practitioner in the place where I work just so that I don't, we don't dilute the, the work that they've come to see me about. But I really believe right. and I really see the difference yeah. when we add in a few supplements, a bit I've posted about them recently, mm. actually, but a few of the key go-to supplements that can really help to begin to nourish and support someone's nervous system. Would you be able to tell us Absolutely. what some of yes. those are? Um, I mean, I use a product, a brand over here called Metagenics, which isn't everywhere, but the 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 essence of some of the supplements would be you know complex b um so complex vitamin b we'd be looking at some um which is in what we call the hpa axis um the hpa essentials so that's a combination of b vitamins Mm -hmm. um, vitamin c and a few other um, micronutrients this really helps to support the autonomic nervous system and the hpa axis drive There's also a beautiful um, blend of turmeric with a bit of saffron in it, which is called Inflamood. And this really helps with inflammation. So often our systems have become quite inflamed because that that the the activity of the nervous system is more on than off as as many of your listeners and as you would know so what we're needing to do then is often support and hold space for the system and calm the inflammation so inflamood is a really beautiful one and then the other one that i did talk about recently was the dha epa which is often just considered like the brain food so high concentration of omega-3s again really useful for helping with Mm -hmm. inflammation um Good, good. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, a regulating tool that you could share with us that maybe you use with your clients that you find is helpful and that maybe you could do with us here. Um, So I also, (laughs) alongside working in private practice, I work with with veterans, with uh, military personnel, with PTSD in in a group program that's run here in Australia. And I actually came across a beautiful um, exercise that I'm going to share with you guys today. Uh, so although it's come from a military background and has been developed initially for military personnel, I found it so useful in my private practice as well. So it's by a lady called Liz Stanley. 
And she's basically put together this program called the MFIT program, which is a mindfulness-based mind fitness training program, very evidence-based and um, a, the whole program is great. And what I'm gonna share with you now is what's called the contact points exercise. And that is a way of helping us settle and soothe our nervous systems, but very much at the beginning stages. So before we start to look at too much internal work or um, breathing, that kind of thing, which can be problematic for individuals. So are you ready for it? <laughs> okay. okay. So I am go. ready. So basically what we're gonna look at here is creating a target object of attention that is going to help your survival brain to perceive a sense of safety. So what I'd encourage you all to do is to sit comfortably with your back against a chair and your feet firmly planted on the ground. If you're comfortable to close your eyes, close your eyes. And if that doesn't feel okay for you, just softening your gaze and just looking a few feet in front of you. This is all really supportive to the survival brain. And if you are sitting with your back towards a wall, this will really encourage your survival brain to feel settled and soothed. For a moment, just raise your shoulders up around your ears and let them drop down back to their resting place. And just do this a couple of times. And I'd like you to take a moment and notice how your body is being supported by the chair and how the ground is supporting your feet. And this is without you doing anything at all. And as you notice this support from your surroundings, just very briefly scan through your body for any places of tension or tightness. And without making, trying to make anything happen, just see if by bringing your awareness to these places, the tension shifts. It may, it may not, and either way is perfectly fine. But just notice from your feet, through to your legs, through to your pelvic area, your lower back, your upper back, your arms, your head, your face. Just notice these areas. And when you feel ready, bring your attention to the contacts between your body and your surroundings. And I'm gonna bring your attention now to three different places. First, I'm gonna ask you to notice your feet resting on the ground. And then I'm gonna bring your attention to your lower back and your bum in the seat. And finally, your hands that are either resting maybe on each other in your lap, or maybe they're both just resting individually on your thighs. So just noticing these three parts. If you're not noticing any strong sensations here, between your feet and the floor. Just push your feet down a little bit further into the floor. And if you're not noticing the contact point where your hands are, maybe just rubbing your hands across the top of your thighs. And now what I want you to do is select 
whichever of these three contact points, you notice the sensations of contact most clearly. So it's either your feet on the ground, your lower back, your bum resting in the chair, or your hands resting on your legs. And once you've selected one contact point, this will become your focus contact point. So just direct and sustain your attention there. We're looking for the felt sense here. So you might notice feelings of softness or hardness, pressure. You might notice heat or coolness. Tingling. Whatever it is, we're, notice, we're going for a felt sensation here. Your mind may wander, that's totally fine. If you notice it's wandered, simply bring it back to the contact point and notice the sensations again. These few moments of directing your attention to the sensations at the contact point is helping show your survival brain and your nervous system that you're grounded, stable, and safe in this moment. And noticing where your mind is and choosing to redirect it back to your contact points is the part of this exercise that's really important. And now widen your attention to taking your whole body seated in the chair. Notice if anything has shifted in your mind and body during this exercise. Maybe the mind is more focused, maybe it's more distracted. Maybe you feel calmer, maybe you feel more agitated. Whatever you notice, it's absolutely fine. Simply notice with non-judgmental curiosity the state of your mind and body right now. And when you're ready, just opening your eyes if you had them closed and moving your head and your neck to orientate yourself back to the room. And if you can, keep an awareness on the point of contact that you were just noticing as you orientate back to the here and now. The activating of the muscles in the head and neck, the seeing and the moving of your head and neck to reorientate to your room is a really important part of cueing your nervous system that helps support recovery and a sense of safety. And this concludes the contact points exercise. Oh, I feel really grounded and relaxed. I know, it's such a beautiful exercise, isn't it? It is, it is. Well, I, I really appreciate your time with us, Alex. It was so interesting and um, just so hopeful, which I, which I really love. Um, so how can people get in touch with you if uh, they want to find out more about your work? Um, yeah, so the best way to get hold of me is via my Instagram handle, actually, at the moment, which is Alex, the Holistic Counselor. And there is a link in my bio, which will take you to um, my profile and, you know, uh, qualifications page that's on uh, my work page. It's on a different website. So feel free to have a look at that. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best way at this stage. 
Oh, that's great. And I will put all that information in the show notes. Thank you, Alex. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Monique. And thanks for all the work you do. If you're interested in finding out how to work with me, there are two ways. The first is through a short-term trauma program called An Introduction to Understanding Your Nervous System from a Polyvagal Lens. This is a five-week, one-to-one online program where you're going to learn all about how your nervous system works. You're going to learn about why it responds the way that it does and how to begin to show your body how to come back to regulation to feel safer, how to become more embodied and present. These five weekly individual sessions are going to help you track your responses and triggers and regulate your nervous system. Another way, which is what I call a deeper dive, is a 12-week trauma healing program. And here, you're going to also learn all about your nervous system. But in addition to that, you're also going to learn about other things related to trauma and healing, such as understanding attachment, inner child parts work, boundaries, and so much more. To find out more about my trauma recovery coaching options, you can visit my website at www.cbtsdcoach.com. Thank you.